welcome to the official podcast of Copper and Blue. I'm your host, Preston Hodgkinson. Joining me are my co-host, Shona Hickmore. And we have a new face on the show this week. Gerard Murray is joining the podcast. Uh, we don't know if he'll be in every week, but uh, he's here in place of Corey Travers, who could not make it. Gerard, first off, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks so much. I'm honored to be here. <laughs> For sure. And, you know, it has been a weird week to be an Oilers fan. Um, they opened up the week with a 5-2 loss to the Winnipeg Jets. That wasn't too pretty. I thought the Oilers played one of their worst games all year, and they waited until the first few minutes of the third period to actually play good. Uh, so that wasn't a great. That that was their fourth loss of the season. They then had a rematch with the Jets here in Edmonton, where it was a pretty dull game but not really it was kind of an exciting game for one that saw its first goal with five minutes left in the third uh the Jets opened up the scoring with Nikolai Ehlers beating Stuart Skinner but Connor McDavid scoring an absolutely beautiful highlight real goal 28 seconds there to tie it uh overtime would solve nothing the Oilers would kill off a four minute Connor McDavid penalty uh and then it would go to a shootout and McDavid and uh you guessed it Kyle Turris got the shootout winners while Stuart Skinner looked absolutely fantastic in his first win of the season with the Oilers. And then it was against the Chicago Blackhawks this past Saturday, where they absolutely steamed the rolled the Hawks in the first period. It was 4-0 after one. Hawks kind of put on a little bit of a comeback in the second, but the Oilers would put it away, or in the third, that is. And But the Oilers would put it away in the third period as Leon Dreisaitl added to his league-leading goal total with 18. So my first question to you guys is, what did you guys think? Because it was kind of a... Not too great start, but uh, a pretty pretty all right ending to the week. Well, I mean, let's be honest; those two Jets games were starting to give me flashbacks of that sweep. I no was kidding. Just like, don't do this. Um, uh, just don't do this. Um, also, if Connor McDavid wants to like go around an entire teams and teams entire you know entirety of a team on the ice every like four weeks or so or whatever he's been doing it like the rangers not the jets like i think he should probably spread that out more than he has been just for uh you know the rest of the league's continued sanity um i I would be fine with him doing it every game i think that's yeah but i i think it'll it'll you know i don't want them catching on it needs to be more of a surprise Connor mcdavid's going through your entire team tonight yeah, it's, good. it's a good secret weapon, I guess. What were you, Jared? Uh, yeah, I mean, the last two home games have kind of been an exercise of demons of the last two playoffs, really, between Winnipeg and Chicago. Uh, oh, I hadn't yeah. realized that was the first Chicago game since, you know, the bubble, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, one thing about like the second Winnipeg and the first home game, uh, I'm assuming it was because the PBR, Professional Bull Riders, was just in the building, but the ice was not great. That was oh, my main thing. Ice hasn't been great for yeah. a while in that arena, though. Um, yeah, but, like, I noticed it especially, like, even the Jets on that uh, power play in overtime, like, they could not get anything off of a one-timer because the puck just would not stay still for them. Yeah, that's a, that's a good yeah. point. I also noticed a moment in the, the Chicago game, I found that both teams were struggling on that ice as well. I didn't even think about the, the Bull Riders um, association being in there well, right before. Uh, it was funny because... There's a junior game there on Friday night um, and then the Hawks on Saturday and then another junior game there today. Um, but it, like Gerard was saying, like um, the puck would not settle down on Friday night for the junior team either. Right. And that's about a week after the Bull Riders 
um, it's just bouncing, just just a very bouncy, difficult kind of situation. So I don't know how much of that is bull riders and how much of that is just Roger's place because it's it's had some <laughs> unique ice you know, over the course of its. Yeah, for sure. That's the that's the one thing that I've noticed about people playing over in Roger's place is that they'll they'll rave about the amenities and it's a fantastic dressing room. The visitors' dressing room is fantastic. The the sight lines for fans are fantastic. It's a beautiful looking arena. But the, the ice, one of the main components that it's built for, not, not too great, not too great. Well, no, Roger's Place was actually built to be a concert venue. I guess, yeah. Not so much yeah. a hockey arena. Like, I know it was built to be a hockey arena, but it's the way it's set up, It's it's got a lot of concert venues, much like Barclays down in uh, in New York, the New York area. Um, it's really way, way more meant to be something not a hockey arena. Yeah, I think right. I would. My mind would be driven crazy if I seen a game at Barclays just because of the off-centered jumble. Yeah, well, and, the, and do just it. how many seats there are obstructed is just yeah. ridiculous. But um, no, like Rexall used to have fantastic ice, um, but that was like something Rexall was specifically designed for, and and um, Rogers was wasn't designed for the same things. Yeah. yeah, I do think they're coasting a bit off of that Dan Craig, like ice guru, like mental that they had for a little while. And yeah, it's just, it hasn't been great. Just hoping people just uh, forget about the ice now and, and talk about how the ice was 10 years ago, right? Pretty much, uh, yeah. Typical avoiders, you know, we were pretty stuck in the 80s, so may as well get stuck there as well. Um, Probably the storyline of the week was Stuart Skinner's performance in the Edmonton net in those two games, the two wins on the week. Um, absolutely fantastic performance against the Jets. I think he had 44 saves, which ranks up there for an Oilers rookie goaltender getting a win. 46, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah, 46, <laughs> even better. Like he was absolutely standing on his head. The one goal he got against, it was a pretty good, uh, well-placed shot by Nikolai Eaters. So I can't really fault him at that at all. And then in overtime, he was great. Stopped both the shooters in, in the shootout. And then he went into Chicago in a game that I think he could have had a shutout because the two goals against him, one was a double deflection and the other was a two on O. So just a few things going a little more right. And that would have easily been a shutout. But uh, what are your guys' thoughts on Stuart Skinner in the Edmonton net? Just look at fantastic. Well, it's interesting you say that. I think Stuart Skinner was the storyline because I think that um, for the Edmonton media, there is very much those two storylines around both the goalies. Um, you know, uh, where they're really excited about Skinner's performance and they should be, it, it was fantastic. Um, nothing new for people who've watched him for a long time. So the people who've seen him in the AHL would, would say the same things. People say in the WHL, like he's always, he's always had great potential as a goalie. So it's good to see that coming out. But the other thing I, I noticed was really quickly how, uh, how quickly that uh, storyline on Koskinen not being an NHL quality goaltender um picked up again and I was just like you know four days ago he was uh the savior of the Oilers franchise and now you're saying he he doesn't deserve to be in net in the NHL so I always find it interesting how quickly um those narratives especially around goaltenders in the Oilers uh organization kick off like Skinner's doing great right now um but if I think back to his first couple starts you know the Buffalo and the um Detroit starts where the team had to be very specific that it wasn't him, you know, that was the reason that they didn't win because the media was all like, well, do you think Skinner gave you enough chances to win? And, you know, was he solid enough in nets? 
you know, see like NHL caliber. So I, I always think like, you know, yes, he was a big story this week. Um, but I always kind of just am waiting for the other shoe to drop with goalies and the, the Edmonton media, right? Cause yeah. they flip flop on if someone's fantastic or if someone's the end of the world so quickly. Yeah. I know. I think a few episodes ago where I saying, Hey, could, could, uh, could Costner get a Vesna consideration? He's playing pretty good. Now, now no one's talking about that whatsoever. Uh, Gerard, what are your thoughts here? I, I do think that he has a stigma associated with him, and that's going back years now, right? Ever yeah. since, you know, the 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 Bob Nicholson, not Peter Shirelli contract was signed, uh, people have trust issues with him. Um, and that's understandable because he had rough stretches, but also it's when he's usually overworked. And we have seen that signs of that this season, but to this point, like they can balance that if Skinner can be what Skinner has been. Obviously, that's not realistic either because as young as he is, he's still very inexperienced. But uh, yeah, he has, I think Koskinen in the minds of a lot of people has just a long road to go before he earns that trust again. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I know I know for last season when um, Smith started the year injured, I think we ran him 13 games and everyone was like, well, why is he not playing well anymore? Well, it's because we ran him into the ground a little bit last year. Exactly. And we've seen a little bit of that this year with the Smith Smith injury again, uh, albeit I, I don't think it's been as precipitous as, as a lot of people have made it out to be. That goal, that first goal in the first Jets game, yeah, it was a rough one. He should have had that one. That is on him, but I think he was, for the rest of the game, he was pretty decent considering the the quality of play of everyone around him um we did lose I mean, that yeah, game five too but it's like... interesting he should have had the, the goal 100 percent in the first jets game but we've been talking we've talked about it a couple weeks and um this will be gerard's first time to talk about it where the hell was the oil there's your explicit tag preston yeah. um where the hell was the oilers defense right like why are you letting the jets walk in and just shoot at your goaltender mm-hmm. right like yeah, that's the funny part. Like, I feel like people often forget, like, oh, like a goalie can't let that in. But also, like, these are NHL shooters. Like, they're paid to find ways to score. So it's it's kind of uh, a double-edged sword in that regard. Where like, yes, goalies should save them, but also like, scores score for a reason, right? Yeah, exactly. And if you don't have a, a NHL quality defense, well, a really good NHL quality defense, which I don't think the Oilers have. We've discussed this very much at length on a bit. I think basically every podcast we rip the defense apart. But uh, if they don't defend, then the goalie's not going to be able to save everything. And that's what we saw in that Jets game. And I don't think it should all be put on Koskinen uh, a little bit, maybe. But uh, goalies are allowed to have bad games every once in a while. And Koskinen well, and we hasn't had, this had many this year. We had this conversation really early in the season as well when they let uh, – them get 45 shots on Smith and in like a week from that point Smith was out injured right um you know if they are going to heavily rely on one goalie they cannot you know let the opposing teams just shellack that goalie in too many games right Mm. so they have to defend and you know we keep hearing that the defense, you know, we have a veteran defense, we have a defense that knows what it's doing. Well, then go defend, <laughs> right? <laughs> know us. Yeah, it's enough of the talk, enough of Duncan Keith's leadership ability. Let's see, let's see his defensive ability a little bit more. Um, or, you know, Tyson Berry is great for scoring goals, but let me see him defend, you know? Yeah, for sure. I think, or, that's, I think that's a very... 
uh, legitimate uh, ask of you for for this Oilers defense. But this this goaltending situation kind of brings in uh, an interesting scenario because you know you have Mike Smith. He's on LTIR. There's some people wondering if that's actually going to be the case and if he will miss that much more time. And this might be just like a cap maneuver. Um, so when Mike Smith is eligible to return to the lineup, there's there's got to be something that happens. So you can't run run with three goalies, I don't think. Um, and you want to have Skinner playing games. He's a young guy. You want him playing games no matter what. So what could happen here? Are we potentially seeing a trade? Or, or will the team just send Skinner back down and, and hope he picks up, the keeps the same pace over in the AHL? I, I just, I can't fathom the team letting go of Mike Smith, first off, because of the Dave Tippett connection. I don't think Smith is, I think Smith is safe in this scenario, but what's going on with the other two guys? I think um, the same thing we saw at the start of the season, Skinner had a a great preseason. You know, you and I mentioned both of that, that he looks really strong in all of his performances. He was the last goalie cut in preseason, you know, to the AHL, right? So I think he ends up going back down to the AHL. Um, I think very much for now, Holland and Tippett have found their, their goaltender tandem in Smith and Koskinen, and this is what they're going to run with. Um, It's interesting to me um, that this is what they're going to run with, but I think it is for now, right? Until either someone at an, or someone who's established in the NHL comes up at a a price that's reasonable um, for the Oilers to manage or um, someone ends up back on the injury, right? Because Koskinen's not as old as Smith, but he's not the youngest goaltender out there right like he's uh been injured for the Oilers before um so you know if you play him into the ground again good chance much like Smith he ends up on the 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 IR if not the LTIR right yeah so I think that's kind of what we're gonna bounce with this season yeah Gerard I think it's an interesting situation for obvious reasons um I mean, for all we know, in between now and whenever Smith comes back, like Skinner could struggle a bit. It might yeah. benefit him even to go back down. But at the same time, um, this is his last year before he has to hit waivers next season. And you kind of want to find out what you have in that before, you know, you lose him for maybe nothing at this time next year, right? Yeah, no, no kidding. It's kind of like the Tyler Benson situation where the team, you know, I think I think the, if they could, they would send Tyler Benson down to the AHL. But I think... Uh, Ken Holland is is almost certain that he'd get picked off off waivers, so they kind of mm-hmm. have him in limbo there, being like the thirteenth forward. And when there's injuries, been in more a little bit more consistently. So yeah. you can't really do that with a goalie, though. You can't have three goalies running. You can kind of get away with it when it's a forward or a defenseman because you have to scratch a few of them anyways. Yeah. But with a with a goalie, it becomes a lot more. <laughs> well, you look at a guy like Alex Nedeljkovic last year with Carolina. He was. Uh, a Calder finalist and he was on waivers at some point. It was a miracle. No one took him, even though he was traded in the summer, you know, it's, it's a, it's a hard situation when you have a good young goalie that you have to put through waivers. So I kind of agree with you. You don't, you kind of want to see what he has here, but uh, yeah, but okay. Preston, let's return to the Oilers management. Cooper <laughs> Morality, if they call him up, he's immediately eligible for waivers. Yeah. And despite having the NHL's, you know, top score or the AHL's top score last year, having been super solid with both Benson and McLeod, you know, last year in the AHL, who are both where right now? All right, with the Oilers. Um, we haven't seen Marodi at all. 
Yeah, right? I, it's it's strange. And we were seeing Kyle Turris on a, a regular night basis, or, which seems, or Devin Shore on a regular basis. Uh, it so, just seems like such a missed opportunity. So the Oilers have absolutely no problem in leaving town the AHL to, uh, you know, even if. And part of me wonders if Marody's not in the AHL because he's going to have to clear waivers if he uh, they send him back down. But they've got a lot of guys that they're going to have to do that with, right? So. I don't for know anyone, why they're but I can see them doing the same with Skinner, right? Yeah. For anyone listening and saying, well, Cooper Marodi can't cut it at the NHL level. He's shown that he can't cut it at the NHL level. Let me remind you, he's had six games in the NHL, and that came back in 2018-19. So we have no idea if he can cut it in the NHL. And after leading the AHL in scoring last year and being pretty damn good in it for a few other years here, it's a, it's, it's a shame we haven't been able to see him. Um, so an upgrade over Turris, Absolutely. Um, and in, in the same vein of this argument, um, I thought Ryan McLeod, Warren Fogle and Tyler Benson had their best games as an Edmonton Oiler, um, ever. I think that they were, especially Fogle and McLeod, they looked to have a lot of chemistry in that game against Chicago. They connected for a goal. Um, and they were just all over the ice. I think if you look at the advanced analytics, their line was, uh, that third line was as best as it's been all season long. So. Yeah, just some some general thoughts on McLeod Fogel and hey Benson. I thought had a good game as well. Benson has a unique knack of like just really getting them under people's skin, and I think that's really useful yeah. someone in that role, especially. Like obviously, it's nice for like you know the Yamamoto's of the world to do that, but when it's down the lineup too, and it's a guy you can afford to lose like on a four and four call kind of thing, I think that's pretty useful, especially against the other team's top talent. Yeah, that's one thing that's really like um, surprised me about Benson's game is that he's got some. He's got some sandpaper to it. I, I didn't think he was the type of guy to throw his weight around, but you know, he, he does just that. And uh, I thought when he, when he gets the puck, he looks good. He looks conf- He looks more confident than he did in that little cup of tea he had a, a year or so ago. So uh, yeah, he just looks like he's gelling well with that, that fourth line right now. Shona. Ah, oh, I mean, I like Benson. I've liked Benson for years and years and years. We, we mentioned this once before, like there's a reason he was, He's been the closest to anyone in the WHL to getting the exceptional player exemption, you know, when he was playing in junior. He was a right little pest in junior, so I'm not surprised um, that he, uh, he's he got sandpaper to his game, as you were saying, Preston. The thing with Benson has always been, like, um, can he stay healthy, right? Because yeah. he, he had a bunch of injuries when he was younger. So um, I think he could really, if the Oilers want to take a chance and actually let him play and put him in situations where he can play and do um, do stuff, uh, then I think he'll be he'll be worth their time and their investment. Um, but I think that they can't play him on a, a token game every seven or eight games and expect to see him de- develop. Right? Like yeah. keep him in a keep him in a lineup. Keep him, you know, keep him away from Tippett's line blender. Let him develop some chemistry with some people and 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 see what happens. Um, they're they're not all going to be, um, you know, able to gel with eighteen million different people right away. You know, when they play with them for half a game or something like, you know, this isn't um, a mix and match plug and play top six that he's got going right. That can pretty much be integrated for the most part, across the top six, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, no, going, uh, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Uh, going back a few minutes to the Marotti conversation, 
I'd like to see this at some point. This happened in the preseason. Maybe injuries allow it to happen. But Marody, Benson, McLeod, I'd love yeah. to see that at the NHL level. And like as um, Shona said, like give them a couple of games together, see what they can do. They already know each other well, so it's less of a break-in period. But that's one thing that it's an option that I'd love to see them explore. Yeah, even if it's just for a few games or so, right? Like when you get to the playoffs and you have to get a few more guys onto the onto the roster here, just play them for a game or two, just see what they have. It seems like a damn shame that you have that option and you're, you're plugging into Kyle Turris instead or a Devin Shore instead. It just makes no sense. Um, well, the other thing is, Preston, like if you were to bring one of those guys up and put a line like that to the other, I think they would play way harder against teams like Buffalo and Detroit than some of our guys were playing against Buffalo and Detroit. Yeah, like they put a lot more that, proof. Right? Yeah, they're mm-hmm. using those those games that, you know, some people are like, well, it's Buffalo. We're going to beat Buffalo. How'd that go? Um, but, you know, they're out to prove that they belong in the NHL. So they're going to, like, hit those games hard where yeah. – not everyone is going to, right? Yeah, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And um, I know if I think if we asked uh, uh, Dave Tippett this question, he'd be like, well, the penalty kill. We need penalty killers in our lineup. And what I say to that is we have our best penalty killers are Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Kyler Yamamoto. And then half the time we play Leon Dreisaitl there and Zach Hyman. So who cares about penalty kill? Our top six guys are penalty killing just fine. So we don't need Cal Turris or Devin Shore. We need more, more guys that can actually play five on five. Um, so I think that's going to do for our first half of the show. Um, in the second half, I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, Philip Roberg. He made his NHL debut against the Chicago Blackhawks this past Saturday. Got his first NHL point with an assist. I thought he looked pretty good. Um, and then the Darnell Nurse injury and how we're going to uh, kind of get over that. But I think I might have just answered that with the Philip Roberg uh, little spiel there. So we'll be right back just after these messages. Okay, and we're back. Uh, we left off talking a little bit about uh, the Oilers' uh, options over in the bottom six and how McLeod, Marody, and Benson could be a very good fit if the Oilers just tried it just a little bit. Um, and now we're going to transition into the defense. And I know if you're listening to the show, this is like the 17th show in a row that we've talked about the defense, but I swear it's a little positive this time. I want to talk about well, Philip Roberg. Can't be the 17th show in a row. We talk about the defense a lot. And it's of, yeah, it I, like I will defend seventh. it. It's good. <laughs> it's the seventh show in a row we've talked about the defense. Seventh because show. the defense was not our talking point last year. That's <laughs> true. That's true. That is very true. The bottom six was our defense. You know, okay, I, I'm, I'm talking myself into a hole here. Um, but uh, a little bit more of a positive spin on the defenses this time around. I thought Philip Broberg looked pretty solid pretty confident for uh for a well, how old is he like a 20 year old kid making his debut what are your guys' thoughts on his first game Throw yeah you go first <laughs> oh sure yeah um yeah like pleasantly surprised is like the best summary i can say i don't actually i don't really know what i expected because he is kind of in a unique circumstance where he's played against you know men overseas right it's not like he came straight out of junior up into the ahl up to here like he's been playing against this age bracket for for quite some time um i've admittedly i haven't seen a ton of his ahl play either but yeah just pleasantly surprised is last night's game for me yeah for sure shona you look agitated here you know my thoughts on this they had options that they should have picked before they brought Broberg up. Um, bringing up Broberg ahead of some of the guys that they have um, that they've used in their defense before 
just reeks of um, the Oilers management being like, we have caught a lot of shit for this pick and we want to prove we didn't fuck it up. Yeah. Um, especially because he started well in the AHL. You know, they're like, okay, well, it seems like he's adapting well, so we can take this risk, you know, and ultimately I don't think it serves the player well. He's played something like 12 games on North American ice and you're putting him at the NHL level. Great. That's wonderful. Fine in his first game, but if he gets blown out, like uh, Bouchard did a couple times in his first year, um, what is, what's going to happen? Like, are you going to rock his confidence? Are you going to have the media throw him under the bus? Like I remember when Clefbaum started in the media, every freaking thing that he did that they didn't like, he was like, they were driving over him and backing up. So, um, no, this reeks of publicity stunt to me. This reeks of proving that we didn't fuck up as a draft pick because they caught a lot of flack for that one. Yeah. And ultimately, I don't think it serves him in the long run. Am I glad that he didn't like have a disaster of a game on Saturday? 100%. But let's be clear um, he was playing not the Blackhawks from two years ago. He was playing the Blackhawks of three, something like three wins, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, it's I, I see where you're coming from there, and I, I was actually I was pretty surprised they brought up Broberg rather than Samarukov. I don't know. For me, I just feel like Samarukov is closer to that to that NHL level, so I thought they'd give him a look. But uh, you know, I, yeah, I, I thought I, Samarukov would be smart. Who I thought they were going to call up was Lagason because they had him late, late into the preseason. They've yeah. played him on injuries before, you know. Yeah. And Lagason did come like up him. there, but but he was he was not in the lineup, but. Uh, yeah, pleasantly surprised. Um, I'm I'm not quite as upset as as Shona is. I do understand that though. I don't want to, because this the media scene here in Edmonton can get a little critical of our young defenders, like you said with Oscar Clefbaum. And if we see it with with uh, Philip Broberg, I just I hope it doesn't rock his confidence like it did with a with like a Jesse Puliarvi or or an Oscar Clefbaum, um, who I guess didn't have his confidence well, no, I, it, destroyed, but like. Clefbaum weathered it better, but Clefbaum also spent the better part of three years in the AHL. Yeah, that's Um, fair. And it is pretty quick for him to come over from onto North American ice and and play NHL games. Uh, Hopefully he can make this stint pretty good. I tweeted out that if if he plays this well over the course of the nurse injury, it's going to be a little hard to put him back down when you have guys like Duncan Keith and Chris Russell and Slater Cuckoo in your lineup, right? I mean, he can't play any worse than those guys. Well, like, they're bad at defenders, um, and they're particularly bad at Europeans. See Puyarvi, see, you know, Matt was in wars over the Yakupov thing in the Twitter minds this week, right? So I just, like, if they've gotten that sorted out and they can develop develop Europeans without, you know, making it a traumatic or, or, you know, experience where they end up going home for a year to rediscover their game or, you know, whatever it is, then go for it. But I'm not so sure that our management group is so removed from the one that right royally messed up Jesse Puyarvi to be comfortable with that. And to be quite frank, the Condors have an excellent record of developing players. So yeah, I you think I, I said last last podcast that maybe, you know, because a lot of the issues surrounding Broberg's game 
coming into this season was his play in the defensive zone and his hockey IQ and just decision-making and, and sticking on his man and not looking lost in his defensive zone because his offensive instincts are pretty good. He's a, got a good shot from the point. He's got fantastic skating. That's why he was drafted as high as he was. He was a fantastic skater. And uh, Dave Manson down in Bakersfield has been turning out defenders like, like crazy. So I think um, I thought a year down there with Dave Manson would be good. Um, Gerard, what are your thoughts here? Not a whole lot that hasn't already been said kind of thing. Like yeah. in retrospect, thinking back, it is, it is a tad quick, you know, he's played like, as he's like 10, 12 games down there. Um, and Bakersfield again, as you said, <laughs> just for reading points here, has a good track record of producing prospects. It's not something we've seen a lot in the last 10 plus years, but it's happening now. So why don't you kind of utilize that to your full potential? But that being said, in the stopgap that nurses here, you have some games, some easier, not gimmies necessarily, but like you have a game against Arizona coming up in the next few days. Like that's, I think that's a good feel out game for him. Maybe uh, yeah. you have semi depleted Vegas right after that, just stuff like that where it's, I don't want to say it's just another like well. feeling out period of like seeing what you have in him, but also it's, you know, you may as well try something now if you're yeah. going to it all. This is not the worst period in the Oilers schedule for him to be up 100%, Gerard. I just, I think, overall worry about whatever decision-making is going on behind the scenes that this seemed like the best option. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, fig- I feel that too. I was also surprised that, like, because when they um, called up Lagasin at the same time, because he's kind of been the, the go-to guy of, like, here, fill this hole for us, like, for a game or two. So, yeah, seeing him get called up but then not play at all, and maybe he plays one of the games against Dallas and Arizona and the other plays the other one. But yeah, very surprising to me as well. Yeah. And uh, like I said, I, I just feel like Sam Rukov seemed like a guy that just he's been in the system for a while. Seems like he's ready to, to make that next step, but uh, I guess not. I, I still think we will see Sam Rukov at some point during this Please season. Sam Rukov, uh, same category as Marodi. Um, <laughs> the Marodi of the defensive core down there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so the big news dropping that made Broberg and Legison getting called up possible was um, Slater Cuckoo to the IR, which isn't uh, too much of a detriment to this team. He hasn't been playing that well. But the big one was Darnell Nurse uh, breaking, I believe, or fracturing a thumb or something, something with his hand, something with his hand and he's out for a few weeks. Um, and there's a lot of panic on Twitter, as there always is, it's Twitter, and it's Oilers Twitter, especially about who was going to fill that role. Um, looks like uh Duncan Keith is that guy he played 25 minutes in the game against Chicago and uh you know I don't like talking about Duncan Keith because we all know where I stand on him I think he's kind of a bad dude uh Gerard may not yet stand there but Gerard's gonna slide right into the podcast's (laughs) positioning of we don't like Duncan Keith I am well into that well already Perfect. Yeah, Gerard, welcome guy. to the podcast. We don't oh, like yeah. Duncan Keith. <laughs> I think he's no. a, a liability on the defense at this point. He's played better than my worst nightmares, but that's still not great. And that's ignoring all the off-ice stuff. And I just find it a little ridiculous that you are playing a 39-year-old Duncan Keith 25 minutes in the game against Chicago in which you're winning by a multiple goal spread. So feels like a good way to run him down pretty quickly. But um, do you think this team, ignoring the the easy schedule ahead here, do you think this team can survive with a consistently decent defensive group without Nurse in the lineup for a few weeks? I'll go back to the same thing about Broberg. Um, They're really fortuitous to have a lighter schedule in the near future. 
Um, and until Nurse comes back, you can ride, you know, the Brobrooks or the Duncan Keats. Maybe not for 25 minutes a night, <laughs> but again, Dallas, Arizona, Vegas, and the next three games, like you, they got very lucky with where they fell on this one. Yeah, for sure. When did we get a, a decent defensive core? Like you're saying the decent or the decent defensive <laughs> no, core. Seems, when did that arrive? It seems like a dumb <laughs> question to ask <laughs> that we lost our best defenseman. And I say, are we decent still when we weren't in the first place? But... Did, did Ken Holland and, and Dave Tibbet buy that on a Black, fi- or Black Friday sale on Amazon no, or something? No, no but we will, be, we will be buying a Ben Shiro uh, with, for a first round pick. This, this no, we will not. Um, uh, <laughs> no, we but... will Shona. We will Shona. It's, Preston, we're talking shut about your Ken mouth. Holland here. We're talking about Wait. Ken Holland here. We know what we're doing. Who played for Tim no. uh, Dave Tibbet at some point that we could instead? Oh yeah, let me look Ken at Holland, the, that sometime, old Arizona team. Ken Holland sometimes surprises us and doesn't do the stupid thing that we are expecting him to do. So just knock on wood and hope that Ken Holland does not do the stupid thing we are expecting him to do here. Um, I no, mean, I think Friedman alluded to it. He said that the or, or the uh, Montreal Canadiens will get a first round pick for Ben Chiro. Uh, I say why, um, but he said it and he's more connected than me. And he listed the Oilers as a team that would do it. So don't shoot the messenger. Okay, I'm of just, course, of course, the Oilers <laughs> would do it. The Oilers are notorious for getting fleeced in trades. That doesn't mean that they will like knock on wood. Um, I'm not going to borrow trouble on that side until we're much closer to trouble being borrowed. Um, no, I think like Gerard said, we're lucky in where this happened. Do I think you can continually lean on Keith for 25 minutes a night? I do not. I think it's the same thing as um, when I get on my high horse about not letting them shoot 45 shots at your 40 year old goalie, if you want him to stay off the LTIR. Um, So no, I don't, I don't think, you know, this is the hashtag best shape of his life, Kyle Turris, you know, or Devin Shore um, thing. I think that these are players that are on the, um, extremely steep downslope of their careers, right? So that if Holland is smart, he will not play, continue to play Keith 25 minutes. Holland was really smart. He would not have traded for Keith, but that's another bitch session. Um, <laughs> Cause I honestly think someone like Caleb Jones is way more um, physically capable of eating those minutes than someone like Duncan Keith. Yeah. Um, you know, homeopathic, find nothing but agreement on that homeopathic, like metabolism, whatever, uh, aside, uh, how about Ethan bear? Sorry. No, that's a guy that's you little shit, sir. Shush. <laughs> um, <laughs> you just got here. I think I've gotten blocked and bitched at more than I have in my entire life because of Ethan bear. <laughs> It's been, um, it's a continuous thing too. People are still going running at me for it. So I, 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 and it's not that I, you know, don't think Duncan Keith has some defensive acumen. I, I actually do think that at one point in time, he was a decent defender, shit human being, but a decent defender. Um, not I a good defender of sexual assault victims. Say that. Well, that was under the shit human being yeah. uh, <laughs> level <laughs> subcategory, not yeah. good with, um, but and also appears somewhat uh, homophobic in you yeah. know his handling of things, but that's again under a different category. Yeah, that's a I conversation we've already that, had before. 
Yeah, I just don't think it's a sustainable amount of minutes. Like, mm-hmm. I sort of understand why he did it against Chicago because Chicago is Keith's team, and that's kind of maybe a situation playing your old teammates that you've played for with for like a dozen years. Yeah. It's a situation where you, you get more up for it or whatever. And maybe Tippett, Tippett's the kind of coach I would play the guy a little bit more because of that, right? He doesn't really... But I think that, you know, if he can't lean harder onto the, you know the other defenders on that side, then we're going to be maybe not in this um, series of games, but as we go through the season, like um, you'll see this series of games. If, if you play Keith for 25 minutes consistently, or you play um, Broberg for, you know, 15 or 20 minutes um, and keep him up, you'll start to see those little cracks that um, even when nurse comes back are starting to, uh, uh, negatively impacts your defense overall, right? What they really need is for um, for some of our more offensively minded defensemen, we all know who I'm talking about here, to kind of uh, reel it in for a few games and, you know, um, provide more of a defensive support so that the, the, the load isn't as heavy on one side of the defense because the other side's up thinking that it leads the rush, you know? That would be yeah. fantastic for a bit. Yeah, for sure. And uh, we've discussed this in, in 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 previous episodes where the defense is in a point of where uh, this is kind of unbalanced. You know, in years past, we have a offensive guy like uh, a more offensively minded guy like Oscar Clefbaum paired with a defensive guy like uh, Adam Larson and and, uh, and and Ethan Bear who does pretty good in his own no- zone with a uh, Darnell Nurse who's more offensive. Now it's kind of just like fuck the defense all offense type of Let's thing see what we can do yeah yeah it's yeah. kind of a i know we called this a defense um technically it's labeled like that on nhl.com but maybe it only has a passing familiarity with what that defense it's a, it's a it's a group that's core objective is get the puck to mcdavid and dry when they're not on the ice get the puck out of the zone hopefully and try to do something on it to the other end and two, you know, I can't really fault its core it's... objective. That 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 particular core objective is, you know, a fairly good one. Get the puck to McDavid and Dreisaitl. <laughs> you know, yeah. they're... To the credit, it's worked so far. We've had a few very terrible games. The four losses were all, I think, pretty bad. But, uh, hey, it's, it's working so far, so I can't complain too, too much. You know, um, as, uh, let me say this for Corey, since he's not here. Uh, something barn burner hockey, something, something, something. Yeah, right there there's Corey. there's our, do- our dose of Corey. i'm sure he'd, he'll appreciate that um and at this I, point I'm, the Oilers may never lose again yeah there it is we told you to say that and you, there we go no no we didn't no just, we didn't no that's like the check just... under the door and i'll on my way <laughs> the gerard came up with that by himself we did not sit, tell him to say that word for word um i want to really not really circle back on the goaltending i want to circle back onto goaltending as a topic uh for a rumor that i heard that was again um originated from from uh elliot friedman on on 31 thoughts um apparently tuka rask is looking to make a return to the nhl and it doesn't have to be with the bruins so and and the oilers have been linked as a team officially linked to tuka rask by elliot friedman is that a guy you you go for and as you know, you you kind of get rid of some assets to make some room for him, or like I think it's like a no brainer, yes. But I'm just confused at why he'd come here and if he would take 
as, as, as severe of a discount that he would need to be brought in here with our cap space situation? Uh, I'll be honest. Uh, I This is news to me. Oh, <laughs> uh, really? Actually the first I've heard of it. I actually have not cut up to that yet. That's an interesting proposition. And yeah. as you said, you'd have to make room. I know, obviously, they try to trade Koskinen in the offseason. Maybe they try to revisit that. Uh, Tuka Rask has always been a guy that Boston fans have targeted, probably unfairly, as being kind of like the root of all problems whenever they you know, don't succeed as far as they want to in the playoffs. But also, he tends to stop pucks very often, which I like my goaltender to do. <laughs> so in that case, like, yeah, come on over if you want to. Yeah, for sure. Just looking at stats here, because, you know, I was under the impression for some reason that he he dropped off. Um, but no, he's been very consistent over the last, God, goes back quite a while since his last bad, really bad season was 2007-08 when he played four games with the Bruins and had a sub 900 save percentage. Ever since then, it's been above a 910 save percentage at the very least. He's got, like, he's just such a consistent guy. Um and I always thought that he, I swear to God, I saw somewhere that he'd said if Chicago or if uh, Boston doesn't want to sign me, I'll retire and play in Finland or something. So that's why I'm surprised by this as well. Yeah. So to hear Friedman officially link the Oilers as someone that the Oilers, to have Friedman link the Oilers to a guy like Rask really, really got me confused for a bit. But uh, what were your thoughts here on this, Shona? One, I think you think of Rask as less consistent than he is because Rask is another one of those hot, cold goalies where he has a bunch of really shit games and a bunch of really spectacular games and not a lot of games that are just okay in between them. Um, I think Tuka Rask would be a goddamn delight with the Edmonton media because I think he would put up with way less than any other goalie that we've ever had here. It would be an uh, absolute delight for me. Um, I like, would love uh, him to just be behind that Oilers defense and not have any reservations about letting that defense know how he feels. But <laughs> I don't know they can make it happen, especially I think that um, for various reasons, Holland and Tippett may not have the uh, desire to make something like that happen, right? Like I said it before, I think they've picked their goalies and I think they're okay to, or for whatever reasons, they're okay with riding that particular tandem for now. So unless something changes in their thinking, I don't see them wanting, because Oilers are, so, uh, the Oilers can be so weird. We can, you know, uh, trade Taylor Hall as the cost for Adam Larson, but at the same time, there, there's other players where they're like, if we don't get exactly the type of return we're looking for, um, that's not happening. And I think Koskinen is one of those players where they're looking for something very specific in return and people haven't come to the table with that. And Ken Holland, Corey gave him such crap for this last year and, and, and into this year. Ken Holland's not the uh, GM to maneuver one of those three-way deals um, or, you know, retained cap space deals or just the fancier stuff that some of the other GMs have been doing. So, you know, would I like Tuka Rask just to watch, you know, some of the Edmonton media just like basically vibrate in their seats because he's such because uh, he doesn't want to do uh remember remember when I think it was a Gazola who uh had a tirade against uh Montoya because he didn't want to do a, a pre-game interview yeah. it'll be like that or... dialed up to 10. I, I had an interesting idea just now um maybe you go out 
you signed to Rask to, I don't know, apparently I, I've also heard that money is not a big issue with Rask. He will take a little bit shorter or a little bit less on the next deal. Um, so if you can do that, if you can sign Rask and you need to open up cap space, maybe all of a sudden you can package that first rounder with Koskinen as a sweetener to get someone to take him. Don't know if you need that. And then basically act like you traded a first for Rask. You could technically do that. I don't know if I love that idea all that much, but it sounds something that uh, the Oilers would really try to hammer that narrative narrative down. Just like how we traded Taylor Hall for Adam Larson and Milan Lucic, right? That type of thing. I, I don't know Did if I love that? it. It's an interesting idea, though. Oh, yeah. No, never mind. I remember that narrative. If you didn't bring up that narrative, I was going to, because that's exactly what I thought of immediately. Yeah, no, it's, it's exactly what I thought of. I don't love it, but I could see... Something I just on started like that. that narrative almost immediately as the bullshit I thought it to be. So, uh, you know, I honestly thought they were bringing in Lucic, whether they traded Hall or not, because he was their offseason target. Yeah. So, um, you know, if they want to package it and sell it in a certain way, fine. But that's still not technically what they did. So... <laughs> They'll damn try to make you think that's what they did, though. Okay, I think that's going to do it for. Well, you know what? This is not one of those uh, light sticks in uh, Men in Black franchise. You cannot just wipe my memory. (laughs) All right, I think that's going to do it for our main topics today. We're going to get into our prediction, everyone's favorite uh, our everyone's favorite segment of the podcast at the very end, where we go through the games that are coming up this week and we predict how the Oilers will do. Now, if you're returning listener you kind of know that if Corey is here he predict, he predicts that the others are going to win every game every single week it's kind of our, his thing to do i've joined in on it every once in a while more often so than let's not. just say for Corey, how many games have the others got this week we've got uh we got tuesday against the stars in dallas it's a three-game road trip so all these are our, our road games so we play dallas on uh tuesday then we go to the desert to play the, the arizona coyotes not the phoenix coyotes and then we go to nevada to take on the vegas golden knights so yes, Corey is going with three O and O for this upcoming week. Yes, we've got we've Unless got his prediction already. Randomly um, changed his whole predictive method. So Shona, we got we got Corey's out of the way, which we we love to get out of the way first. What's yours? Ah, uh, I think we're going two and one. I don't know which one we're going to lose. Sometimes I have a feeling like, um, well, I do. I, th- I think that they may not do as well in Dallas as I would like. I think, um, and they may lose in overtime and not just straight up lose, which I would like much more. But I think that they're going to lose one of those games, whether they get a point in it or not. I think it might be the Dallas game. But we'll see. What do you got? It does feel like one of those weeks where they lose a game maybe they shouldn't have. I don't want to say Arizona. That might be a little extreme, but I think Dallas is Uh, a a losable game. Never mind, say Arizona, because they lost to Buffalo and Detroit last time. Yeah, Buffalo and Detroit are doing miles better. Than yeah, they, have, they haven't been as, as bad as Arizona have been. I think Arizona actually won last night, I want to say, against St. Louis, was it? Yes. Or the night before? We, we broke the Blues, I think, because that was the first game for the Blues after our game. Yeah. Good job, us. Appreciate it. There we go. That. Did something. Yeah. Um, actually, you know what? To be a contrarian, I'll say they lose against Arizona, win against Dallas, just for fun. I'll right. say it's like uh, it'll be in the shootout. Uh, Dave Tippett will go with Kyle Turris to win it, and he will fail to score. Oh! And Dave Tippett will not know what to do with himself. That's that will d- destroy his whole world. His mind will be blown. I kind of want that now, <laughs> um, but I won't. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna stick with the Corey method here. You know, Dallas has been disappointing this year. 
Um, I know they're coming off a 4-1 win against the Blues, but the Blues are broken right now because we broke them. Um, so I say the Oilers squeak out a close one against the Stars. We do what we do against the Coyotes, and we're going to win. This might be a, another 5-1 win type of thing. Golden Knights, that's going to be a tough one, I think, but they're depleted. We'll take it. It'll be close. I'll say 4-3 against Vegas. So 3 oh no. Uh, I think uh, I think that actually has a good chance of happening this week. I have way too many first round playoff exits uh, via the Dallas Stars back in the day memories for me to be comfortable uh, with that that's one. That's my trick. I wasn't born until 99, so I have no exactly. idea about that. 98 years. I so know. There we go. <laughs> so Army's going to sit here and like uh, yell at Cloud while you uh, don't acknowledge the existence of we, going out. Like, we exercised my demons and that was the Hawks and the Jets and we beat the Anaheim Ducks earlier this year. So my my memories are are, are fine right now. Before we leave Preston, who told the Ducks they could go on a heater? <laughs> Troy Terry apparently. Um I I I always like Troy Terry as a player, but just, I'm just what saying he's doing right now with the Ducks is absolutely insane. 22 points in 17 games. By I remember when Adam Henry they were supposed to suck. <laughs> Yeah, I remember when Adam Henrique was good. Yeah, and well, he's all right now, again, apparently. Oh, yeah, 15 points. What's, what's going on here? Uh, I, I feel like NHL GMs just don't know how to handle waivers most of the time. There's so many good players that slip through the cracks just, and so many bad ones that get picked up. Who else in the Pacific just fired their GM for bad behavior? Was that Adam Henrique? That was Ducks. Bob uh, Murray. Yeah. yeah. Well, he resigned. He, he resigned. He wasn't fired. Sorry, who should have fired their GM, but let him <laughs> take himself out the door to save face? Yeah, I think uh, you know, that reckoning that reckoning is coming for more teams, I think. Um, and given that uh, Ken Holland has a history of backing and defending Mike Babcock, uh, I feel like there's something coming down the pipeline there. Okay, I think that's going to do it for our show today. I hope you guys enjoyed it, and we'll talk to you guys next week. So, 